I want to ask you to find 1 John in your copy of the Scripture. And if you're using the Purack Bible uh, in front of you, if you would find page 1023. And uh, let me say a word about the Purack Bibles. If you do not have a Bible in your home... Uh, we want to ask you to take that PRAC Bible, put your name in it, and carry it with you when you leave today. Uh, we would like to make a present of that to you and your family. Now, as I've said in the past, if you have a Bible at home, please don't take our Bibles. Uh, we want to use it for others, have it for others who may not have a copy of the Scripture. I do want to begin a series of messages this morning on the book of First John entitled Basic Christianity. And I want to begin in chapter 5 in verse 13 because John has a habit, if you, if you read his gospel and you read his epistles, uh, John in both places gets to the end of the book and will give his purpose statement in writing. I know so oftentimes what we will do is give a thesis statement up front. Uh, John gets to the end of his gospel, to the end of 1 John, and he tells us at the end of each one of those writings why he is writing to us. And that's what he does in verse 13 this morning. And so as we launch a series on 1 John, I want to actually do things in reverse and begin at the back of the book before we pick up at the beginning of the book. And this summer... I want to challenge you to get a notebook or a prayer journal and uh, read through 1 John 5, 6, 7 times. And each time as you read through, if you would journal things that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind and then combine that with the sermon notes you get from Sunday morning here. And let's walk through 1 John uh, together this summer. Uh, I want to invite you this morning to pick up reading with me in uh, actually verse 9 of chapter 5, and we're going to read down through verse 13. And this morning I want to bring a message to you entitled, Blessed Assurance, the Certainty of Our Salvation. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please? John says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar. Because He's not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your plan of salvation. The scarlet thread of redemption that we see running all throughout the Scripture. Culminating... In the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us at Calvary's cross. And Father, we want to thank you for the testimony that you've left us with. That you have made it so clear to us how to have peace with you and be in a right relationship with you. The scripture says that you desire all men to be saved. That you're long-suffering and you're patient. Father, we thank you for your patience, your kindness. And God, I want to pray this morning that you would help everybody in here to understand that we can have this blessed assurance of knowing that if we are in Christ, we're saved and secure. God, I pray that it would be a message of comfort for many. A message of challenge for others who've never made that decision to turn away from a life of sin and turn to Christ. That today would be the very day that they would come into that right relationship with you. God, I pray that you would sharpen my mind and loosen my tongue. And God, I can only speak to human ears. It takes your spirit to speak to hearts. And so I pray that through your spirit, 
you would do that today. All to your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to talk to you today about something that has direct relevance to your life and my life. I want, I want you to understand today that you can know that you have eternal life. If you are in Christ Jesus our Lord, you can have the blessed assurance of knowing that you are saved and you're secure in God's loving arms. Now, folks, this is such a critical issue, and I want you to understand why. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, after this comes judgment. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And then John, writing in Revelation, Revelation 20, says, And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works." And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Ladies and gentlemen, every one of these days, every person will stand before a holy God. And when you and I stand before a holy God, there will be no turning back. There will not be a second chance. Your eternity and my eternity will forever be settled in that moment. You know, I think of that story Jesus told about this in Luke chapter 16. Because in Luke chapter 16, we find a guy that wanted a mulligan. He wanted another chance. And Jesus pointed out in that story that we're not given another chance. There was the story of the rich man and Lazarus and, and the rich man lived without God. And so guess what? Because he lived without God, he likewise died without God. And the Bible says in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he was in torment and he saw Lazarus there in the arms of Abraham, the bosom of Abraham. And he said, Father Abraham, if somebody from your side would just dip their finger in some water and bring it over to me and touch it to my tongue, because I'm in torment here. And the message given to him was, no, there, you see, there's a great goal fixed between us and you. And your eternity is settled. You're where you are, and Lazarus is where he is, and there's no crossing over between the two. You had a chance in your lifetime, and, and you denied God and lived without God. And this guy said, well, would you please send somebody to my father's house because I've got brothers who are lost and I don't want them to come here. And Jesus said in that story, no, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And so Jesus' point was at that moment that eternity begins for you and me, it is settled for each and every person. You can't have a do-over. But the good news of the Bible is when that day comes for you and me, we can have a blessed assurance. Aren't you glad of that? Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, uh, For the cause which I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. God is a good banker and He's not going to lose the deposit of your soul. 
If you've entrusted your soul to Him, He's able to save you and He's able to keep you until that day that you meet Him in heaven one day. You can have a blessed assurance. Well, how can we have such blessed assurance? First of all, this morning, I want you to note that I can rest assured of of my salvation if I've done what the Scripture says I must do to be saved. I want you to look again at 1 John 5, 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Why is John writing? John is writing because there's a group that is attacking the church and they were known as the Gnostics and they were upsetting the faith of some. Now, in coming weeks, I'm going to get into more what they were teaching, but suffice it to say that the Gnostics were upsetting the faith of many, and they were causing people to doubt. Now, they were saying that salvation comes about only to a select few, and it comes about by having a special knowledge. Gnosis in the Greek language. It's where their name comes from, the Gnostics. You see, they were, uh, they were denying the biblical testimony about the Lord Jesus. They said that Jesus was either just a ghost, he was a phantom, or that the spiritual Christ, the Messiah, came upon the man Jesus at his baptism, and then when the man Jesus was dying on the cross, the Christ lifted off of him. And so when Jesus died, it wasn't the Messiah dying. It wasn't the God-man dying. It was just another man dying without any kind of saving effect. And so what the Gnostics were doing, they were denying the entire witness of Scripture that Jesus died and rose again in the flesh for our salvation and they were denying that He is the only way to be saved. Now the Gnostics went on to say that flesh doesn't matter, only your spirit matters. And so they were saying if you had this salvation according to this special knowledge that had been revealed to you, you could go out in the world and you could do anything that you wanted to do in your body. It did not matter what you did with your flesh as long as you were given attention to your spiritual life. And as you can imagine, the consequence was that they went out and they lived all kinds of immoral and ungodly lives. Now folks, it was a heretical plan of salvation. Again, it was an outright denial of everything that we find in the Word of God. Now, a very early form of this teaching was coming into the church and and John writes, 1 John, to combat that, to combat the Gnostics and to teach the truth. And so as a loving shepherd, a caring shepherd of his flock, John says here in verse 13, to a church where false teachers have stirred up doubt, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now what does it mean to believe upon the Lord Jesus? It means that you are resting your entire eternity. Your entire hope of salvation and forgiveness of your sins. You're resting all of that upon Jesus Christ and what He did for you. Now, first thing about this I want you to notice, let's ask ourselves, first of all, what does the Bible, what does God's Word say about salvation? I've given you some verses there in your study guide I want to go over with you. First of all, there's John 3, 16 to 18. John says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then Acts 4.12. We're told there, There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And then 1 John 5, 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 
Romans 10, 9 and 10, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And then there's that well-known passage in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul says, for by grace... Or uh, have you been saved through faith? And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Now look at Romans 3, 20 and 24. Paul says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see what he's saying there? The law of God in and of itself doesn't save us. It is a mirror. You go to a mirror in the morning. You went before a mirror this morning, or at least it looks like most of you did. Perhaps some of you didn't. And you were getting ready for a church service. And, and, and the mirror exposed all your flaws. Now, the, the mirror didn't do anything to help you get ready. It just showed you what needed to be done in order to get ready. Well, Paul says in the book of Romans, that's what the law of God does. The Ten Commandments don't save us in and of themselves, but it shows us that we stand in need of God's grace through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in Romans 3 verse 21 to say, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, in Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, the Bible gives us witness, it gives us testimony of how to be saved. What is necessary in order to be put in a right relationship with God. And so what you and I need to ask ourselves, we need to say, have I done, have I obeyed the Word of God, the witness of Scripture? Have I repented of my sins and have I come to faith in Jesus Christ and followed God's plan of salvation that He outlines in the Word of God? I want you to notice that the Bible doesn't say that you and I are saved by walking an aisle in a church service. Now I say that because I've talked to people before and asked them about when they were saved and they'll say, oh preacher, at a revival service when I was 11 years of age, I walked an aisle. Well folks, that's not the question. Now we have folks come forward in church here to bear, to bear public testimony of their faith because we see in the Bible that everybody that Jesus called to be a disciple, He called them in a public way. He said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. But if you testify of me before men, I'll testify of you before my Father in heaven. And so we ask everybody to come forward and give public witness of their faith. But I want you to understand this morning, simply by walking a church aisle in a church service, you are not saved by doing that. I want to be very clear on that. Uh, it said that when D.L. Moody first began preaching his evangelistic crusades, he went to England and he and Charles Spurgeon were, were friends. And, and Charles Spurgeon had Moody preach in his church on a number of occasions. But there was a period of time when Moody went there and he was, he was preaching his crusades that he noticed that Spurgeon was not supporting the crusade and was not gathering his flock together to come. And, and that disturbed Moody because Spurgeon had such influence. And he went around and he visited him and, and, and Charles Spurgeon said, I'll tell you why I've not been coming to your crusades. It's because you give people the impression at, during the invitation time that they've got to do something in order to be saved. And the Bible says all we've got to do is repent of our sins and look to Jesus Christ. Christ. And so I want to be clear, coming forward doesn't save you. The Bible neither says that joining a church will save you. Being a Catholic will not save you. Being a Protestant will not save you. 
Joining a church in and of itself will not send you to heaven. I was listening last week to uh, James Dobson's program, Focus on the Family. He was running a, a, a rerun of Art Linkletter. Art Linkletter just here recently went home to be with the Lord, 97 years of age. And uh, a couple of years back, he, uh, Art Linkletter was speaking to a group in San Diego, a group of Chick-fil-A employees, and Dobson was playing reruns of that. And, uh, of course, many of you know Art Linkletter had that program, Kids Say the Darndest Things. And in that speech, Art Linkletter was talking about how he got into uh, radio and then finally got into TV. And, and, and then once he got into TV, he had this idea for the children's program. And he would tell school teachers, he would say, Now, don't send me your best students. Don't send me the straight-A students who listen all day in class and they're quiet and they're shy and they always obey you and they never talk back. He said, I want you to send me some of your rebels that you'll be happy to get out of the classroom for the day. And so Art Linkletter was talking about one little boy he was interviewing on that program. He said, son, uh, what's your faith? And the little boy said, huh? He said, what's your faith? And the little boy didn't know what he's talking about. Well, what's your religion? Well, the little boy still didn't know. And he said, son, where do you go to church? And the little boy said, oh, oh, I, I know what you're saying now. He said, we're either Catholics or prostitutes. <laughs> Being a Catholic or a Protestant will not save you. <laughs> We've observed believers' baptism this morning when, when uh, people uh, professing faith in Christ enter into the baptismal waters. I want to say to you this morning, baptism in and of itself does not save you. Baptism is a public witness. It is the gospel uh, in, in picture form. It, it explains just by looking at the ordinance of baptism, it points out what has happened. You see, it is a picture of the believer being united to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the baptismal candidate is saying, that's whom I have placed my faith and trust in. In Jesus Christ and what He did for me when He died on the cross for me, He was buried and on the third day He was raised to new life and it is only through Him that I have new life. It is a picture also of the washing away of sins. And I tell baptismal candidates, don't get the wrong idea. When I carry you under the water, it's not that all of your sins are going to float up off your body to the top of the water. And then when we drain the baptistry, your sins are going to go bloop down the drain and, and disappear. But it is a picture of the washing away of our sins. But you see, the very act of baptism itself does not save anybody. What saves a person is that they come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they are a sinner and they cannot save themselves and by faith they trust in Jesus Christ and what He and He alone did at Calvary's cross to forgive them of their sin. Folks, how do we miss this? It's so simple. You remember when Paul and Silas went to Philippi? And they preached the gospel and they ended up in prison. And then at midnight they were singing hymns. And all of a sudden the prison doors opened and the jailer thought everybody had escaped and he was going to take his own life. And, and, and Paul said, oh, don't do that. And, and, and the jailer came rushing in and brought him out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. You see, you see what the Bible is saying? It's through Christ and Christ alone. Folks, that is the consistent witness of the Word of God. It is not of good works. I cannot do enough good works to work my way to heaven. You see, the Bible says even my good works are tainted by sin because my nature is tainted by sin. David said, in iniquity my mother conceived me. 
I might can do good works compared to you or you can do good works compared to me, but up against God's standard, which is perfection, we have to say like Isaiah, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm an unclean man. There's none who is righteous, none who is good, the Bible says. And we've got to get to that point in life of realizing that when we go over to our spiritual treasure chest to open it up and rummage around, try to find the good work that would justify us in the sight of God, there is nothing in our own spiritual treasure chest that we can present to God. Nothing. It is only through Jesus Christ and Him alone that we come into a right relationship with God. And again, that, that is what the Bible points out. The whole Old Testament is leading up to that, showing how all of those sacrifices pointed to the one perfect sacrifice in Jesus. The whole New Testament records that. It is all about Jesus Christ. And so we've got to ask ourselves, have I done what the Bible says that I must do to be saved? Have I looked to Christ and Christ alone for my salvation? And if I've done that, I can have the kind of confidence that John is talking about here. Secondly about this, I want you to note that certainty in our faith comes from the promise of God's Word, not human emotions or feelings. Some people doubt their salvation because they rely on their feelings. You know, we live in a thrill-a-minute society. We're so feeling-oriented, and we tend to think, if I don't feel it, it must not be real. And then that comes into play in, in the way we think about salvation. We think, I've got to feel it all the time. I've got to have the goosebumps all the time. Somebody ends up going through a dry period in their spiritual life because either they're not in the Word of God or they're not in church or, or maybe God even has them going through a wilderness experience to teach them something. And the next thing you know, they're in my office and they're saying, Preacher, I don't know if I'm saved anymore. And I say, What do you mean you don't know if you're saved anymore? If you ever had it, you still got it. What are you talking about? Well, I just don't feel it anymore. Uh, well, you don't have to feel it. What's, what's feelings got to do with it? Some days you may not feel like loving your teenager, but they're still your teenager, right? Feelings don't have anything to do with it. 1 John 3, 19 and 20 indicates that our heart may condemn us from time to time. Look at, uh, look at chapter 3, verses 19 and 20 with me. John says, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him... For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. You see what John is saying there? John is saying there's going to be times that your heart is going to deceive you. There's going to be times that you cannot trust your emotions or feelings. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17.9, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can trust it? So we want, to go, we want to go around putting uh, feelings on a pedestal, but God doesn't. You see, with God, it's fact first. God says, I love you, and as an expression of my love for you, I sent my son to die on the cross for you. Faith second, I believe that. Feelings last. Some days I may feel it, some days I may not. But we want to change that order around, and we want to put feelings first, and it doesn't work that way. Folks, our salvation is based on the promise of God. Titus 1-2, Paul says, "...in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began." If you have obeyed the Scripture and, and repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone, you can have peace with God. Romans 5.1, Paul says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then at the end of, of chapter 8, well, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What kind of condemnation? No condemnation. And then chapter 8 closes, Paul says, There is no separation from the love of God from those who are in Christ Jesus. We're saved through Christ and Christ alone. And He gives us a salvation that is secure. Amen? Secondly this morning, 
I want to say to you that biblical salvation gives evidence of itself. True saving faith will show itself. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now granted, sometimes new life in Christ is less evident than at other times because after all, we still have to battle the flesh. But nonetheless, over the course of one's life, evidence is there. Folks, if your life never shows any evidence of being saved, then you need to ask yourself if real conversion even took place. Maybe you just had an intellectual head commitment and and that was all. Because you see, the Bible is saying if we've truly experienced conversion, if we're a new creation in Christ, there are some changes that take place. We're that new creation And along with being that new creation, there's some things that God does in our lives that we're not the same as we used to be. So there's evidence of conversion. And what is some of that evidence? Well, first of all, there is obedience. I want you to turn back to chapter 1 with me and begin reading with me in verse 5. John says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Look down at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. John says there, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That is, that you don't live a life of sin. But if anyone does sin, if you stumble in from sin to sin, uh, sin from time to time, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him, but whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Obedience. You see what John is talking about there? John is talking about a new life. He's talking about a changed life. Now let's think about conversion a moment. Before and after our conversion. Before our conversion we walked in darkness and the things of God were no joy for us. We didn't pray. We didn't read the Bible. Going to church and reading the Bible might have seemed like an old-fashioned dose of castor oil to us. We just did not enjoy the things of God. We tended to be dictated by our desires and pleasures. Ephesians 2 talks about that. Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now folks, that's what it means to walk in darkness. But it doesn't simply mean or doesn't necessarily mean that you ran out and jumped in the pig pen every day. It just means that you were tuned into the world's frequency. You weren't tuned into God's frequency. John says if that's how you were, you can say with your lips all day long that you're a Christian, but he says you're a liar. If you say with your lips you know God, but you walk in darkness, you walk according to the course of the world, and you do not have it in your heart that you want to obey God, John says you don't understand what true biblical faith is all about. Because true biblical faith changes you. And here's why. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, John says, God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. 
Now, who moves in at conversion? The Holy Spirit does. And so here's God who is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. He, he lives in light. God is light. And He moves into our lives at conversion. We're changed. We're a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit now abides in us. And what does He do? He gives us new desires. And obedience to God is one of those desires. After you were saved, didn't you all of a sudden maybe find yourself not wanting to do some of the things that you used to be doing? Now, some of those habits might, it may be a little bit tough that it took a while for some of them to fall by the wayside. Maybe some of those old habits fell by the wayside just like that. But some of them maybe you had to work on. But the point is, when you were guilty of it, the Holy Spirit would just get all over you, take you to the woodshed, and you'd say, man, I can't live that way anymore. I, I gotta, I gotta be different. I wanna walk in fellowship with God. I wanna obey Him. I wanna please Him. And John is saying, if that is not the desire of your heart right now there's some things you need to check out but if you can think back to that time in your life that you came to Christ and the testimony of your life is that the overall course of your life was different, it was changed that my friend is a blessed assurance now it's different degrees to everybody, I mean, I mean you take somebody like a male trotter, male trotter by his own profession of faith, Mel Trotter was just a, a, a reprobate, a pagan. He lived in drunkenness every day. I mean, he lived for his next drink and what he would do to go out and get in trouble. He came home from one time being on a drunken binge for weeks and he came home to his wife and his two-year-old and he found his two-year-old dead. And he blamed himself for the death of his two-year-old. And he swore he had never, by the casket of that child, he swore that he would never take another drink again. But you know what he did? He went out from there and he sold his shoes to buy another bottle of whiskey and he was off and gone again. I tell you what, when that man got saved, it was dramatic. It was very dramatic. I think the longer somebody has been walking in sin, the more change that they're going to notice. But sometimes even some of those folks really struggle to give up some of those bad habits. But the evidence comes in the fact that they want to give them up. Sin doesn't hold the same attraction over us that it once did. Folks, has there been any kind of change in your life? Is there a love now for the things of God? If there is, again, that is evidence of genuine belief. Now, another way to look at this is to look at your relationship to sin. Don't tell me that you have a new relationship with God if you don't have a new relationship to sin. Look over at chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. John says there, No one who abides in Him, no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning, and the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What's your relationship to sin now? Do you leap into sin and love it or do you stumble into sin and loathe it? An unrighteous man, an unredeemed man who's still walking according to the dictates of the flesh and the pleasures of the world, a lost man can leap into sin and love it, but a Christian stumbles into sin and loathes it because, again, the Holy Spirit takes him to the woodshed and disciplines him. That is evidence of the new birth. Another evidence of the new birth is love. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. John says, We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 
What did Jesus say in John 13? Jesus said, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Folks, love is the hallmark of Christianity. Some people want to wear a piece of jewelry around their neck or have a certain kind of haircut or dress in a certain kind of way to, to say that, Hey, I'm a Christian. People don't do that kind of thing as much now as maybe they used to some years ago. Those things are not the sign of being a Christian. Jesus said the sign of being a Christian is that you've come into a new relationship with those who claim to know me, your brothers and sisters. You have a new relationship to them. You love the brethren. You love the brethren. Folks, one of the ways we express our Christian love is seen in the fact that we want to be around our Christian brothers and sisters. We, we want to go to Bible study. We want to go to church. You know, I've got to really question these people that say they're a Christian, but you've got to twist their arms all the time to be in church. And then once they're in church, you can't ever get them to do anything. I think a new, I think a, Christian is going to want to be in church, want to be around their brothers and sisters, want to love them, want to serve the Lord. And that's what John is saying here. That's a change you can look back to in your life and say, I've got a new relationship to God's family. Maybe I didn't care much for him before, but now I just love to be around him. I tell you what, you read the book of Acts, and every page you turn in the book of Acts, it's like those early Christians we see that they just love to get together. They love to pray together, to encourage one another, to, to do Bible studies together, to witness together, to go on mission trips together. The early church just loved to be with one another. Do you love the brethren? Do you love your church family? That's a blessed assurance that God has done something in your heart and He's left that fingerprint or that footprint behind as evidence. A third evidence. Chapter 4, verse 13, we see here the witness of the Spirit. In verse 13, John says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. The witness of God's Spirit with our spirit is evidence that we belong to Jesus. Now, folks, how can we know that we have the Spirit of God and the witness of the Spirit? Now, some of you are going to miss this, okay? But it's all the other things I've talked about, okay? You've been led to believe the, uh, you've been led to believe the scriptural witness of who Jesus is and what He, what he did. Who leads you to believe that? The Spirit does, Okay? You've been changed and the direction of your life now leans in the direction of obedience to God and desiring to obey God. Who does that? The Holy Spirit does. You don't love sin anymore the way you once did. Because again, He takes you to the woodshed when you sin and He disciplines you as He does all of His children. Who does that? The Holy Spirit does that. And you now love the things of God and you love the people of God. All of that is a sign that the witness of the Spirit is with you. And so evidence of conversion, true biblical Christianity shows itself in the fact of obedience and love and the witness of the Spirit. You see change in your life. Now, folks, hear me, hear me correctly this morning. I'm not talking about perfection, okay? I'm not talking about perfection. I like that bumper sticker that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. None of us are perfect. We're not going to be perfect until we get to heaven. But what John is saying, if you profess to know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, there ought to be a difference when people look at you. When you sit around the dinner table and talk the language that maybe you used before that you don't use now, there ought to be a difference in that. When you talk about how you spend your money and what you spend your money on and what your desires are out in the world, you know what? There ought to be a difference between the Christian and the world. 
There ought to be a difference between a Christian and a man in the world. How we treat one another and how we love one another. How we go to God's family, the church, and how we participate and worship and, and serve and witness of our faith. We ought to be able to look at our lives and see that some type of transition has occurred. Because I tell you what, where the God of this universe has been, who He has touched, there's a change. Amen? There's a change. There is a difference. I want to ask you this morning, do you know that you're saved? Do you know that based on the testimony of God's Word, that you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not remember the exact date on the calendar. You remember the period of time. You may not remember the exact date on the calendar or the time of day it, it was. Some of you do. But do you know there's been that time? You remember that the Holy Spirit was convicting you and 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 burdening you over your sin, maybe you couldn't even sleep at night for weeks. Or maybe that happened all of a sudden in a service that your parents drug you to, and you were sitting there in that service, and all of a sudden God got a hold of you, and you knew that if you died in that condition, you were condemned, and you would go out into a Christless eternity. And you made a decision to look upon Christ and Him alone for your salvation. Have you made that decision? Somebody says, well, preacher, I think somewhere back there, somewhere, I, I, I might have made, I must have made some kind of decision like that. No, I think you know if you did or not. If you've made that decision, then this morning you can have blessed assurance. If God's moving you to make that decision, again, we want to invite you in just a moment to make it public. Making it public will not save you in and of itself. God just simply asks you to make it public for witness sake. I want to invite you to do that. You can know that your salvation is secure. You can be at peace in this matter. You don't have to worry when you read the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen. You don't have to worry, oh no, if I, if I leave the church house this morning and go out into the world and, and maybe have a bad thought or something, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to lose it. No, you don't lose it. That, you didn't gain it and you don't lose it. You got it through Christ. And everything He does, He does perfectly. And He's able to keep you in His loving hands. It's secure. You know, for some people this morning, it's kairos time. Kronos time is the time on my watch or calendar, the time that tells me my time's up. That's chronos time. But there's another word for time in the Bible, kairos time, and that word meant a special moment of opportunity. For some of you, this is your kairos time and you know it. There's a decision that you need to make. And again, I'm going to invite you to nail that decision down and to make that decision today. Do you see evidence of... If you claim to know Christ with your lips, do you see evidence of conversion in your life? I've mentioned to you before, if you were ever drugged into a courtroom, dragged into court and accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there any evidence that shows that God has done a change in your life. What's your attitude to sin? What's your attitude to obedience? What's your attitude to your church family? Is there evidence of biblical conversion in your life? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that we have to open up the little book of 1 John and begin a study of it. And how refreshing that John wanted his little flock to know that in Christ they're saved and secure. They could have a blessed assurance. They didn't need to live each day of their lives doubting. These false teachers that were coming into the church and trying to shake them up and point them away from Christ, they didn't need to follow that, those voices. They needed to stay true to the witness of Scripture. And Father, I know that you want the same for your church today. 
I, I thank you that you make the way of salvation known to us through your word. And I pray for that person right now who would need to come forward saying, Pastor, I need to do what the Bible says. I need to look to Christ. I thought I could live by the golden rule. I thought I could just keep the Ten Commandments and make it to heaven that way. But I see this morning that it's only through Jesus. And I want to trust Him and Him alone for my salvation. God, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would do a work in that person's heart to draw them forward. For those who have made that decision and they look at their lives and they can see Your fingerprints all over their lives because they're different now than they used to be. They love the things of God. They're not perfect, but they love to obey you. They love to walk in fellowship with you. They love the things of God. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ. It just does their hearts good to be around a fellow believer, to look at their own life and see how you made them a new creation. Lord, for that person, I pray that they would walk out of here today with a renewed confidence. If there's any doubt in their hearts because of maybe they've been relying on feelings, whether they got up this morning and felt good or not, God, just show them that it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. And again, I just pray that you would write blessed assurance on their heart. For the one today who may need a church family, who'd say, Pastor, I know Christ. I am a new creation. But I need a church family because I need to fellowship and pray with other believers. And I'd like to be a part of this fellowship. God, draw them forward as well. We would love to encourage them and instruct them and pray for them and have them pray for us. We need each other. That's what a church family is all about. God, just do a fresh work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Our hymn of invitation is going to be on the screens uh, behind me, directly in front of you. If there's a public decision that you need to make, and you, you would like to give that public witness this morning of your faith, I, I'll be here to pray with you and encourage you. If you need a church home, maybe you want to come to this altar and just say, God, thank you for changing my life. I remember what it was like to be lost. To get up every day and go out into the world and walk in darkness. I thought in darkness. I, I spoke in darkness. I just lived my life in darkness. And I remember that day that you got a hold of me and you saved my soul. And I remember that peace and joy that you brought into my life. And God, I just want to say thank you. Maybe others just right there in the privacy of your seat. You'd say, God, I thank you for the evidence of conversion you've, you've brought about in me. But I want that evidence. I, I want your thumbprints on my life to even be more visible. Not for show, but out of sincerity. I want people to know that I love you. I love your word. I love your mission. I love your family. God, I, I just love you and what you're about. And I want people to see that in me. Do a fresh work in me related to that. And you know what? God will do that.